we continue our a series uh, this morning on Christianity in the 21st century and specifically how Christianity can address itself to some of the underlying problems of the 21st century. We've already looked at a number of issues. We've looked at the importance of understanding the world we're in. And then over the last two weeks, we've looked at one of the basic philosophies that underlies what is happening in our nation, the whole area of secularization and atheism. Now, a major claim of Jesus was that he was telling the truth. In the Sermon on the Mount, he repeated quite a few times these words. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. In uh, verse 18 of chapter 5, for instance. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. I tell you the truth, says Jesus. We see it again in John's Gospel. Jesus is described in the first chapter as full of grace and truth. John the Baptist is seen as someone who testifies to the truth. Jesus noted, the truth shall set you free. In our reading, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The Holy Spirit, says Jesus, is the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. If you go on to the Pauline letters, you get the same emphasis on truth and the opposite of truth, which is lies. Romans 1, 25. In speaking about the knowledge of God and morality, here the words uses. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. A judgment is passed, said Paul, on right and wrong. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. He speaks in Galatians about the truth of the gospel. He writes to Timothy and says that leaders should correctly handle the word of truth. I think I've made my point. Just in case you think I was saying something which wasn't in the scripture. The underlying, the teaching of Christianity, there is a concept that some things are true and should be believed, while other things are not true and should be avoided. Some things are true and some things aren't true. Now, some of you were saying, what? That's so obvious, Pastor. That is so straightforward. Of course that is the case. I'm glad if you say that. But it's not obvious in this day and age. People really 
think maybe we can't know truth at all, at all. We respond and say there is truth and error. There, are, there is truth and there is lies. There is truth and there is untruth. Yet in today's philosophical climate, on the media, amongst us, in our families and homes, the climate is so different. Let me take some common sayings that we hear. What's true for you may not be true for me. Hear that? No culture is better than any other culture. No culture, everything's the same. There is no objective morality, just opinions. Go with the flow. If it feels right, it is right. If it feels right, it's okay. Now, to define this thought, we're going to use the word relativist. It's the relativist view of reality. And it's summed up in these quotations. What's true for you may not be true for me. And it makes truth person-dependent. So everybody can be autonomous. It's worth stopping at the word autonomous. If you know your Greek, you will know that auto means self and nomos means law. In other words, everyone's got his own ideas of what is right and wrong. There is no ultimate truth. There is no ultimate morality. And this is seen in the area of religion, of culture, and as I just said, morality. Of course, we see these sort of arguments regularly displayed in political arguments and discussion when things turn up. We see the undermining of truth when politicians and media of all sides decide to cherry-pick the evidence before their eyes, or even worse, to completely ignore it. Extreme partisanship on both sides of the political aisles all right, means the truth is often not taken seriously. And lies are the enemy of truth. And it's a danger, and it's anti-biblical. We live in an age where facts are ignored, and words are spoken and constantly twisted to fit one's own philosophy. Now, this has always been the case. It's not new. Yet I do believe we're going through a period where truth seems less important to so many people. We must be careful, as Christians, what we buy into. Before we buy into certain philosophies, or certain religions, or certain views of God, or certain moralities, we need to ask the question, are they true? Because if they're not, they will have serious consequences in our lives, the lives of our families, and the lives of the nation. Let me illustrate from history. And let me illustrate from up the road, just up the road. And my guess is four miles up the road. 
1692, we had the Salem Witch Trials. 90, uh, not 19, a number of people believed the lie that a group of women and a few men were in league with the devil. Of course they weren't, not at all. Really, it was all personal things, economic things, cherry-picked things in order to get rid of these people, etc., etc. They were executed by hanging and one man by crushing. Nineteen were hung. Fourteen of them were women. Five were men. One man, as I said, pressed to death and five died in jail. Why did it happen? Because they believed a lie. Not the people who were executed, but the people who judged them. And of the judges of that time, only one, Thomas Stewart, repented of what he had said. The 17th century was full of this. Europe, especially Europe, really sent thousands of mainly innocent women to the stake, to be burnt alive because they believed the lie. It satirized well in the Python movie, The Holy Grail. And uh, you remember Arthur and his knights uh, set in medieval England come across a, a mob seeking to execute this so-called witch. It's a satire, it's a comedy, but it's so close to what was happening at that time. Let me illustrate with another lie. Anti-Semitism has been alive and well since the Jews became a nation. Myths grew, out, grew about the Jews. Wild conspiracy theories that they sacrificed Christian babies and in blasphemous rites drank their blood at Passover. This was believed in medieval times. They believed this about the Jews. They would accuse the Jews of corrupting Christian women. Later, theories of worldwide conspiracies to take power through business and wealth. And of course, people bought into this. And we know the consequences of buying in to this anti-Semitism. The Holocaust didn't just happen. It wasn't just something that happened overnight. It was a process that began with lies. A process that dehumanized the Jewish race. So that slowly but surely, the population failed to empathize with them. 1933, April, Hitler just came to power in January, stormtroopers protested outside Jewish shops. Jews in key positions lost their jobs. Lecturers, doctors, lawyers, judges. They weren't allowed to go into a cinema. They weren't allowed to go into parks. They weren't allowed, if they were doctors, to treat non-Jews. Then in 1938, one year before the war, we have Kristallnacht, where their synagogues were burnt to the ground and 30,000 
Jews were put into concentration camps. Eventually, under the cover of war, we had the Holocaust. Jews, political opponents, gypsies, Jehovah's Witnesses, homosexuals, the mentally ill and disabled were murdered. Anti-Semitism is the canary in the mine, said one person. In Wales, I don't know about America, in Wales the miners, the colliers, used to go underground and they'd have a canary. And the canary was there, not as a pet, it was there so that if gas came, then the canary was the first one to fall off his perch and they would get out to the place. Well, let me say this, anti-Semitism is the canary in society when it comes to persecution. Christians have fallen for this, I'm going to be honest today. Take Martin Luther, for instance. I like a lot of Luther, he's a character, had a huge impact. But at the end of his life, in the 1540s, he wrote one of the most awful books against the Jews and their lies. He fell for the myth. And the main point I want to make and illustrate here is simple. Lies have consequences. What we believe has consequences. And that's why truth is important in a relative society. Jesus says this in John 8, 45, about the devil when he lies he spreads his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies so when the believer gets involved in lies the believer sides with the evil one which is the ultimate blasphemy when we believe what is untrue we open ourselves to bad influences and that's why, as Christians and as church, we should always be concerned for the existence of absolute truth. We believe in truth. And we want to believe what is true, not what is not true. And we are in danger if we believe lies of undermining the foundations of Christianity itself, undermining the foundations of morality and ethics. You see, when there is no truth, when everyone can decide what is true, then you've got problems. One person put it like this. Every man has been not only his own priest, but his own professor of ethics. In other words, you make it up. Make it up as you go along. Just, it's okay. Make up your own laws and make sure they, they suit you. They don't put you out. Make up your own God. That's great. You can cut things down. You can make your own little mental idol of God. Many of the arguments that Christianity has with the present culture grow out of this relativist mindset. It's the underlying trend of the philosophy here in America at this time. And we must understand this undermining 
if we are going to effectively communicate the gospel in our day and age. There are many issues that depend on this. Moral and ethical arguments of the day depend on what you believe about truth. Issues of pro-life or pro-choice depend on what you believe about truth. Sexuality and gender depend on what you believe about truth. It concerns what you believe about God. It concerns all these things. So when we ignore this relativist philosophy, we endanger ourselves. And that's why I'm preaching about this. Because it is happening in our society today. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this church believes in truth. You can't just believe what you want to believe. You must believe, if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ. And in Christ, we see the truth. And we make no apology at all for it. If you're listening in today, and you think I'm a little bit extreme this morning, I'm sorry, but I'm not really. I'm not really. Actually, I am glad that the truth has been revealed and that we can have something to stand on, a foundation for our lives, ethically and morally and spiritually as well. Next week, I'm going to be looking at how, as Christians, we are to respond to relativist thinking. I'm just going to make one simple point as an introduction to next week. And the simple point is this. Relativism also has its absolutes. Relativism also has its absolutes. It's a quick, simple point, and it's not a cheap point, I promise. It's not a cheap point. Relativists cannot but help contradicting themselves. I say this because their whole way of looking at things is based on what they see as absolute truth. They think, as relativists, they've got the absolute truth. You could sum it up with these words. It's absolutely true that no truths are absolute. That is a contradiction. That's a contradiction. One person put it like this. They are closet absolutionists, not absolutists. In other words, they pretend to be relativist in order to just do what they want to do, but in the end, they too are absolute, and they live like that. And next week, we'll be looking at how we can deal with people who believe this. So many people believe this, in church as well. In churches, oh, you know, well, they do it that way. We believe in truth. Of course, there are nuances and differences and all different sorts of things we could add. But the point I want to make this morning is a very, very simple one. As Christians, we believe that there is right and that there is wrong. 
We believe there is truth. We believe there is error. We believe you can have a right view of God and a wrong view of God. It's as simple as that. But it's not popular today. And it's most definitely not politically correct. So if I've offended you, good. Give you something to think about. Come back next week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us dare to hold on to what is true. Although at times it's definitely not popular. We want to be followers of you. We, we fail. We get it wrong. We blow it at times. We recognize that and ask your forgiveness. Forgive us as churches that sometimes we have fallen into the same cultural sort of pond as others. So, Heavenly Father, continue to bless us. Continue to help us. And help us to continue to witness to the 21st century. In Jesus' name. Amen.